and you're very welcome to a podcast which runs a keen eye over all the comings and goings of the Irish League. My name is Peter Cinnamon and in the past seven days we've seen the villagers go to the city and are at a point. The champions go to a village and give up three and most impressive of all Danny Perkis showed that he can score from a mere three yards out as well. We ask, are the Glens and Coleraine in disarray as the Blues and Lorne look to have found their mojo? We'll recap the weekend's games, reflect on some of the big talking points from my interview with Niffle CEO Jared Lawler and look ahead to this Friday's Bell Classico all on this week's edition of Kicking Match. You're locked in to what I can describe as the flagship pod of the week. The one where we get to cover games. And my goodness, do we have plenty to natter through this time round. Therefore, I better get my skates on and get my guest in here pronto. Returning to the podcast, it is fantastic to welcome back former sports editor of the Balamina Times. It's Stephen Alexander. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Thanks for having me back. It's great to have you back. I only want to bring people on when there's reasons for celebration, jubilation, and of course, every weekend of Irish League football warms the little cockles of our football reporting or journalistic heart. But let's not pretend. It's one of those rarities now in the current year, 2023, for Balamini United. A win. They're coming not as often as you'd like them to, but I'm sure you took your drive home to Balamina from Dungannon with a little pep in your step. It, it certainly was a, was a bit more pleasurable, Peter, than, than, than some this season. Yeah, as you say, Balamina uh, uh, victories are a, a bit of a rare commodity, a bit like hen's teeth this year. Well, that and plenty. I actually have a really, really good weekend of games, so there's a lot to sink our teeth into when we do. But before we jump into all that, uh, this week you get a two-for-one if you're a listener of Kicking Match. You may have seen that at the start of this week, if you're tuning into this, the week that it comes out. I dropped an interview with Niffle CEO Jared Lawler. Look, he's done plenty of interviews and bits of media off the back of this five-year plan. I did a big podcast last week with Stephen Crawford going through bits and pieces that they put down to paper. It was my chance to chat with him and put some of the questions that I've been thinking in my head and chatting about with people like you, Stephen, about where they're going to go, how they're going to get to. And uh, you can put this here as the little dotted line where if you still want to listen to that podcast without any spoilers, you want to hear it fresh, you can go do that. It'll be the episode that came just before this podcast but let's consider this the post game show from that podcast lot to to go through and I think a lot of the stuff I don't think will surprise people I think a lot of the stuff is all ahead of us of where we could go but one of the things which somewhat contradicts reports that I saw last week when they're looking through the amount of teams in the top flight that potentially are behind this idea of a change in season schedule. There was talk last week that uh, it was in a minority of managers who wanted it to happen. Chatting to Jared, he thinks, or at least they believe, that they have seven out of the 12 are interested, and this is the clubs rather than any individual person, are interested in some form of change. I doubt that they all believe in the same flavour of season schedule change, but 
I think that is significant. If that is the case, the fact that there's now seven teams who are looking for a change, it really does underline exactly why this is such a debate of the moment. Very much so, Peter. I think, to be honest as well there, uh, you know, there's some confusion, some conjecture as to, you know, who exactly will, will have a say in this or who exactly will have a vote. I mean, will it be all Niffle clubs throughout the, the three divisions? And, and I mean, in, in that case, if, if someone from the championship or, or clubs in the championship or the or the Premier Intermediate League are, are getting a vote, you know, really, what, what will be the incentive for, for them to, to shift the season? I mean, I think depending on how many clubs actually get a vote in this, it, it, it could make it possibly harder for them to, to, to push the, the summer football idea through. And that's one of the other really interesting points for me. I, I did push him on this and asked, however we get to this vote, and we very much need our own Brexit terminology. We can't call this summer football vote anymore because now it's change in summer schedule, which I'm going to trip over every time I try to say it. But I did ask, okay, we're going to have this vote. He said in the next six months, they're going to sit down and, and talk through and get the, the motor running when it comes to this. But I asked, and I didn't mean to pick out the two teams that I did, but I picked out two teams from the championship and, and the PIL respectively. And I said, do these clubs have exactly the same vote as, let's say, a top-end premiership team? And he said, at the moment, yes. And they weren't quite sure if this was a 50 plus one. Is that is that what you need to get this through? Does it need to be a, a 70% majority? So whenever we get to this vote, and it's not clear if a vote is going to be the way that this is decided. But if we do get to that, they don't know how it's going to go. But if they are going to go with the current rules, and I, I just in their gut says it, that it might not go down this route, it will be as equal. And, and you say that, very clearly, you could have all... Tw there's absolutely a scenario where all of a sudden there's the top 12 teams. You could even say the top 20 teams in the country based on their league order are all saying summer football or a change in, in season schedule. Yes, please. But it's the teams below them which are saying no, they don't want to change. And there is definitely two sides of the aisle who say this is what this is all about. It's a democracy. They have their vote and they are equally allowed to have that opinion and should fight for that opinion and of course the other side which i think is absolutely central and integral to the current the current politics of football in this country there's teams at the top end who feel as though they are not having autonomy over how they want to run their football not all teams in the premiership clearly want to have a change in summer schedule but if there is a majority and particularly if that majority is weighted towards the top end of football in this country, we have a very significant standoff, I feel. Yeah, I would, I would imagine that's, that's correct, Peter. The, the thing about it is, obviously, the, the clubs will, will, clearly, they'll have their say on it. But, I mean, there are so many other stakeholders in the whole debate, aren't there? And the one, I think, you know, Jared was saying in some of these, uh, um, some of the media outlets, you know, that they want to consult with everybody. They want to have the, the grown-up conversation. The, the one group of people, Peter, who I, I really hope aren't overlooked in all this are the supporters. I mean, will the supporters back this? And and really, how how are you going to get a flavour of, of, of whether supporters will back it or not? The, the only way, realistically, is if you basically lobby every season ticket holder of every, certainly every premiership club, possibly every Niffle club, because... 
the season ticket holders, Peter, are, are the ones who are who are committed to it over the long term. They're putting their money where their mouth is to buy a season ticket to follow their particular team throughout the course of a season. And I understand there will be that Niffle are trying to attract new fans. And of course, of course, we want to see a new generation of fans as well. But I mean, really, maybe those are the people who maybe only attend one, maybe two games a year. Um, you know, really, uh, are they going to be sort of influenced by by someone saying, oh, yes, I'd love to see summer football. Well, how many times do you go and watch your team? Well, Boxing Day and maybe one other or something like that. Um, I think really uh, it would be really sort of remiss of Niffle not to not to give the the sort of the, the tried and trusted the long term supporters their their viewpoint as well. There is a wide range of reasons why people would be proponents of a change of the league schedule, and one of those things that would keep coming back is the weather and the state of pitches and and putting people off due to that. And and one of the things I took from that interview is that yes that is one component of it but what we are really looking at and what seems to be now the new central argument for moving the current season is actually attention and it's filling a void filling a market and a space as content when there isn't any other competitors when it comes to football men's football in particular within the British Isles. He brought that up how just through filling television schedules, even going with different partners, you mentioned like betting and stuff like that, that could draw more people in. That seems to be the thing that they kept pointing to. Yes, you may draw in more people due to better weather. We don't know that for sure, but that's one thing that's been talked about for well over 10 years. What's becoming more to the forefront of this discussion is can we attract beyond even Northern Ireland, which seems strange for this league, but when things become more global, that actually being this summer league that's being played within the British market, they think there is potentially big opportunities there from a broadcasting point of view. And to stay in the broadcasting point of view, one thing which did actually surprise me, I outright asked, we keep comparing ourselves to the League of Ireland. League of Ireland have this streaming service, LOI TV. Could we see Niffle TV? And... Jared feels that's definitely on the cards. I was the one saying, but oh, where are we going to get the money? Where are we going to get infrastructure? He thinks, who cares? Let's make it happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you look at that five-year plan, Peter, there's there's an awful lot going on within within that strategy. I mean, even the very fact that the strategy was titled A Bold and Brighter Future for Professional Football, I mean, it gives you a fair idea of the, of the direction of travel. I mean, Niffle has done some tremendous work in, in making the Irish League, if, if we call it that, in, in old money, uh, much more marketable and much more appealing as a product. I mean, the evidence is there to see in increased attendances and, and much more coverage of the league already through media partners. Like you think of, you know, regular live streaming of games with the BBC. But I, I think we're we're reaching a, a pivotal stage in this process now because you know some people are saying yeah let's carry on that momentum and, and grow it even bigger. But I think there's a train of thought now in, in some quarters that everything is really being geared towards the full time clubs. Um, you know the, the main reason you obviously hear the advocates for summer football putting forward oh it'll, it'll help Irish league clubs in Europe. Well, I mean what what are the advantages for for the clubs who don't qualify for Europe? Uh, you know part time clubs those players have other jobs outside of football. Maybe maybe the only time they can take their holidays is dictated to them by their occupations. You know, for example, a teacher being off in July and August, maybe factory workers whose 
place of employment maybe closes over the 12 holidays. You know, it's a, that's the only time of year that these people get to take a break and, and spend time with their families as well without, without the added uh, difficulty of having to keep their football manager happy as well. I've been thinking a lot about the central conflict which you just highlighted with this new era of Irish League football. How much do we try to push forward for these clubs who are who are at the top end, who are professional, trying to just will on and improve their own fortunes? And how do you balance that out? Do you balance that out to make it quote-unquote fair or a more even playing field for the clubs who aren't able to take that leap? And be professional. You you give a variety of, of of external factors, considerations for players who aren't full time. And at least this is my own personal analysis. I'm not putting words in his mouth. I'm starting to believe the sentiment now is that those teams that have been able to go full time, yes, that is an advantage, but it's an advantage that they've created for themselves. And if you want the benefit from said advantages. I don't believe that they want to pull them down. I think the idea is if they're running away with it or they're running away towards the future, it's not about holding these clubs that are pushing forward back. It's now them turning to those teams and saying, well, if you want to keep up, you better run faster. And I think this comes down to a debate which is bubbling just underneath around a push for Friday night games, Tuesday night games. Is it unfair for a Nuri or, or Carrick or whoever part-team team you want to pick out there? Is it unfair of them to play against a full-time team on a Friday, like a Lorne, when they haven't been able to prep? And I believe the sentiment going forward is it might not be, but Lorne's pushing forward, and if he can't keep up, that's just unfortunate. But that's just that's just what I'm feeling. Yeah, I mean, I think, Peter, that the, the whole thing seems to be geared towards eventually having a fully professional league or, or certainly as many professional teams as possible in it. I've always had a concern ever since this idea was first being floated. I've always had that concern just about how financially viable that will be in the long term, just simply because I, I just don't. I'm not sure that model's sustainable in the long term. And, and I mean, by sustainable, I mean being able to bring in enough money to cover the fairly significant outgoings, which obviously will be mainly, you know, full-time wages. If you can do that by qualifying for Europe or, or maybe by selling a young player to, to a cross-channel club with the, the various add-ons included in that deal, then yes, maybe that's that's fine. But I mean, none of those things are guaranteed. Like the, the, the European uh, money, for example, I actually thought it was, it was a very concerning situation this summer that the four teams who qualified for Europe were, were the teams who have currently have full-time status or or three quarters full-time to use crusaders own terminology i mean I, you could see a situation developing there where where those would be the, the teams qualifying for europe every year and that would only succeed in, in making the rich even richer and, and widening the gap between them and the rest of the league which i don't think would be a particularly healthy situation since then of course there's there's a slight change in the landscape uh with you know with cliftonville announcing plans for their hybrid model maybe something along the lines of crusaders with some full-time players alongside part-time but but then now you have Borean and Carrick both announcing significant investment from outside so so all of a sudden that's that's now seven teams who would maybe have aspirations to be to be going full-time to to some extent all battling for four european places 
I mean, a, a lot of those clubs' business model will be actually based upon the premise of qualifying for Europe and maybe even getting through a round. So for three of those teams to miss out on, on European money, given the outlay that they'll the outlay that they'll they'll spend on on full time wages, that's really significant. This will be an absolutely pivotal conversation point and something that's been highlighted here. We are starting to see clubs that are veering into financial difficulties, and we've seen the push. We keep comparing ourselves to the League of Ireland. I've talked about this on all this podcast uh, till people are blue in the face. We all know there's been examples in there ever so uh, the growing pains of their 20 years of moving to the summer and, and, and being a full-time league broadly across the spectrum there. So we will have our own growing pains as we move into this era and as we get to some form of normality, however many teams there is that are full-time long-term and I also think the, the, the situation with Niffle how many teams we will come back to this and we will see this discussion come back up he highlights in that interview how the League of Ireland is two teams of ten we have three leagues and the difference between the full-time teams or even the teams just below those full-time teams and the PIL teams that's a really really big gap in what it is like to be day to day so what Niffle looks like in five years could be significantly different. Could we? Could the PIL go completely? Or does it expand? Do we see some super championship? I don't know. But we will see a huge amount of moving plates, I believe, when it comes to the formation of the league. But uh, if you want to hear all the things he said, I would highly recommend it here exactly. The, the words coming straight from his mouth. You can check out that podcast right now on whatever your podcast platform is let's get to the games and we'll start with one of these full-time teams that are gunning for the title and i think it's fair to say that it was an absolute banner week for the blues 2-0 against the crews and then they return to their home to do what feels like their annual thumping of Newry in South Belfast. Um, first off, it's always great to score lots of goals and put six on the board, but I think a lot of people expected that. The Crews didn't go into that game on Tuesday night, burning on all cylinders, but Linfield are starting to show, I know it's only early days, but they look relentless right now. Whatever is in their way, they're dealing with it with incredible efficiency. Yeah, I mean... Uh- as I was, I was driving home from the match at Dungannon on Saturday, I caught a few minutes uh, on the radio of Dean Shields, who was the, the studio guest on, on Sports Sound. And, and the very last question that Eric White put to him was, who would win the league? And Dean, absolutely quick as a flash, replied that Linfield would win it by a margin of at least 10 points. 10 points. 10 points. I, I mean, I'm not quite sure I would agree with such a large winning margin, but I mean, there's there's an old adage, isn't there, Peter, in, in Irish League football? If, if you finish ahead of Linfield in the league table, there's a, there's a good chance you'll win the league, and, and I think this year's no different. I mean, the, the strange thing about Linfield this year, I don't think they're as strong defensively, maybe, as, in, as some other years. But when you think about how many of those many, many Linfield title triumphs were based around like a virtually impenetrable defence, but what they do, they do have an awful lot about them going forward. Uh, this team, Joel, Joel Cooper is a terrific uh, player at this level. One who can just produce a moment of magic from out of nowhere. And, and another player who I think has really stepped up to the plate this season is Chris McKee. 
Um, obviously, I think you know E2 Vertainen was the was the main man in attack last year, but since he left, I think Chris McKee has has really stepped out of his shadow. And somebody needed to step up there, and he so far is the main man. Matthew Fitzpatrick is finding his feet up at the top end of the pitch in that David Healy side, but they always have these complete unsung heroes. And the man who is secretly wearing the cape at the minute is Cal McLean. He's dictating play in midfield. He's the engine in there. He's stepping up and getting goals. And the amount of assists he's had this season is, is really going under the radar. And despite this Linfield team not being one that has a lot of fireworks about it. They have players like Cam McLean and Chris Shields who are just, they're the efficiency in this team that is creating these plays to get these other players in, to get the goals for the likes of Kirk Miller. And that goal against Crusaders on Tuesday night, just ticky-tacka pinging it all around and Matthew Fitzpatrick running in and heading the ball like it was just a, a great little bit of play. It felt very un-Linfield-esque. You don't think of them as this free-flowing team, but when they got the space, they really showed what they can do. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned Kyle McLean there because he is a player who has really caught the eye uh, this season. I think, I think he has really, really blossomed now and, you know, you often hear Linfield fans saying, "You know, well, how, how will we, how will we ever replace Jamie Mulgrew whenever, whenever his time is eventually up?" The, the answer may well already be there. You know, Kyle McLean is, is really sort of bossing that that midfield area now, and, and as you say, he's really added that side to his game now. He's he's setting up chances, he's creating things. A really, really good player. And after that loss to Lauren away, they have been able to tighten up this defence that was something which they came into the season a bit leaky and it's been their defence which has let them down and in spots which has not given them the absolutely perfect record but but since then they keep a clean sheet against lock all which is a lot more impressive now after the, the week and a half that we've seen uh they keep a clean sheet against crusaders and bar really a, a runaway goal from Newry when Linfield were home and hose and had the game won. They look to be scoring goals. They're keeping it tighter at the back. They'll go into these next set of games feeling confident. And it's a position that we see them in and they're very used to this. This driving down the motorway at a relentless speed, taking out whatever comes their way. They, they didn't look to to be comfortable in this team that's dealing with a bad start they're really at their best when they know that the other team's worried a bit more when they have the confidence in them they've always been that confidence this team that's strong mentally to deal with the pressure this other pressure that they had last season clearly spooked them and it could all fall down with this massive game on friday but it's really not looking good for Glentoran on Friday ahead of the Bell Classico. Yeah, I mean Glentoran as well. That's <laughs> it's it's hard to put your finger on, on what's what's happening there. I mean it's it's basically just uh, it's not really sort of working for them at, at the moment. That was a a very disappointing result and by all accounts a very disappointing performance um, at Carrick at the weekend. And, and as you say, probably the last fixture they would want at this moment in time would be uh, 
to running up against a, a bang in form Linfield team. But having said that, how many times in games like that have you the form book just is tossed completely out the window? I mean, a really, really eagerly anticipated game this weekend. And just the reverse of the couple of weeks that, that Linfield's had, Glentorn go a couple of weeks ago, beat Newry City 4-2, and since then they draw at home to Dungannon in what was a, a pretty dire game. They then lose to Corain at home, being completely passed around the park by Corain, and then they go and have what should be a get-right game against Carrick away from home. They have the lead, and in a two-minute blitz, they completely throw it away. People always think a run like this is coming, and everything will hang on what happens this Friday, but it, it, it feels like we can wipe that chart down of how many days since the last Glentoran crisis, because it feels like we are days away from the annual drama of the season 2023-2024. This, this, this is clockwork, which must be even infuriating for fans in East Belfast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going terribly well for, for Warren Feeney at present, and, and he seems to be seems to be copping a fair bit of flack from the Glens fans. And I, I mean, you can understand their frustration because after the after the roller coaster of the, the, the Mick McDermott era, you know, the Glens seem to have steadied the ship a bit under Rodney McAree. They guided them back into to Europe via the playoffs before Rodney even went back to Dungannon. I mean, Warren has inherited a very, very talented squad of players. And I mean, he's, he's been able to add even more talent to it, like Darrow, Connor, and players players like that. But for whatever reason, Peter, they, they just aren't firing on all cylinders at the minute. They have had injuries. Like McCullough's out at the minute. Reese Marshall's out at the minute. But looking at this team that played against Carrick Rangers, they have plenty of talent. McGinn, McLean, Sule, Singleton... Donnelly, McCartan, Burns, Wilson, Kane. So, I... Show, show me a manager, Peter, who wouldn't want a team of players like that. If we're having a temperature check on all the managers' seats, I would must say, I think Feeney's is probably the hottest in the league right now because the fans are frustrated. They have a run of games where they would like to have got far better results than just taking one point to nine. And... It's the way that they threw it away against Carrick. It's it's a two-minute blitzkrieg from them. They both come from Carrick's right-hand side. And particularly that second goal, how on earth is Perkis able to keep his balance, trap the ball, and just wait for that right moment to flick the boot to fire in the goal I, I just watched that goal with my jaw on the floor because there's so many things that could and should have went wrong but it's it's the balance and the poise to finish that that only could have been a striker who is feeling himself who puts that away yeah I mean it would it would have to be Perkis as well of all players having, having left Lintorn but um, I mean think that you know looking at and listening to some of some of Warren's interviews afterwards he, he was Fairly, fairly critical of the, the his players. You know, he said he felt let down, and again, it's you know different managers will approach that in, in different ways. But uh, I mean, certainly a lot of managers that I've dealt with in my time, they will always come out and you know they will they will possibly they'll take the they'll take the blame for the defeat. Now, what they say behind the closed door of a changing room might be 
very, very different to that. But um, it's, uh, to, to use that um, old phrase there, I, I don't know about managers sort of throwing, throwing players under the bus there. Um, that's the sort of thing that uh, possibly can, can breed a bit of disenchantment as well. He's not getting a tune out of them. And this Friday night fixture is going to be such a massive test because if he can't get those players or those players are unwilling to deliver and perform in what is one of the biggest fixtures and footballing occasion this island has to offer, then it's it's the usual, I don't know what to say to you, you know? So a lot's riding on this game. One team trying to get out of a funk, not to be embarrassed by their rivals, the other one in Linfield not wanting to let this be a banana skin. Like, Lauren fans are going to be transfixed to that game on Friday and it's just going to be another huge occasion. But let's not skip over Carrick here. They came into that game, three losses on the bounce. Stuart King didn't have a particularly icy cold seat that he was sitting on. He was feeling the pressure. And it's just hard to get your head around this Carrick Rangers team. We went through that Glentoran team name by name. This Carrick team has plenty of talent, plenty of experience to it. And they've been on the wrong end of a couple of results, despite some cracking goals from Perkis. I'm sure Perkis was delighted to finally be the man that's scoring a goal and is able to celebrate three points after this. Huge result for Stuart King, and as we'll always say in this situation, he'll want to believe his season starts right now. Yeah, I mean, outside of, of covering a lot of Balamina games last season, probably the, the, the team that I've covered most often in matches was was Carrick, and I, I really I watched their progress last season with, with great interest. I thought Stuart did a terrific job there, and... I mean, he added to that panel of players in, in the summer. And I think at that stage, there were maybe question marks going, where, where are Carrick sort of getting the money to sign the likes of Perkis and Joe Crow and Albert Watson and whatnot? Then, obviously, the, the, the news came of their uh, American investment. Certainly, <laughs> Stuart is a hugely ambitious manager and Carrick now look to basically be, be sharing Stuart's level of ambition. He really wants to, to drive that, that club forward. Uh, that's why this the the first couple of months of this season have probably been hugely frustrating for Stuart. He has he has said that you know they just have struggled to find consistency. But there are a lot of very very good players in that Carrick side now that they are a, a team who are, I believe are, are heading in the right direction. And the team that's coming up to face them this weekend. It's the bell of the ball. I'm going to let you wax lyrical about them because it's just become a running bit on this podcast. I know I'm not the first person to say this local team is great and fun to watch. But wow, they beat Lorne at home. A result I didn't even see coming. And then they go to Cliftonville and they put on a clinic. They get out of solitude with a well-earned point. I... Got plenty of communication from Red fans saying, you're right, this local side is the real deal. And they were on Football Focus on Saturday. Like, this local team, so hot right now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're getting all the, of the plaudits that they deserve uh, at, at present. I watched them a few weeks ago. Um, they won 3-1 at Balamina, where... Uh, honestly, Peter, their, their second half performance was terrific. They actually... 
I remember that day Balamina went in a goal up with Paul and Coates uh, heading one home. And, and at that stage, I would have said Balamina looked relatively comfortable. There hadn't been too many hairy moments. Second half, luck all just looked like a completely different team. They just they moved the ball so quickly and their pace and their movement. And, and I mean, the, the goals were sort of classic strikers finishes. Nathaniel Ferris got a couple and, and Andrew Huey popped up with one that day. I was, I was really, really impressed that day. But I was even more impressed last week. I was covering the uh, luck all's win over Larne. And they were they were terrific once again. I mean, I think one of the things about it, they've they've kind of shown as well a promoted club coming up. You don't have to throw a huge amount of money at it as, as some teams think. And the other thing which Dean uh, Smith was was telling me is he hasn't gone out and just sort of signed players willy nilly. You know, there's a lot of that squad this season are the squad which have been patiently building in trying to win the get out of the championship for the past few years before they, they managed it last season. The, the, the core of that squad is still there. And what Dean has tried to do is maybe identify particular areas where he could strengthen. And and I mean it's 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 a really it's it's a good it's a good honest panel of players and they work so so hard. But one really good signing for me uh for Lockall has been Jay Boyd uh on loan from Crusaders. Now, he was a player I, I was aware of him. I hadn't seen an awful lot of him. Uh, I knew he was very, very highly rated at Crusaders. Um, so I, I remember hearing somebody talking about him, oh, he may be the possible long-term successor to, to Jordan Owens. Watched him uh, at particularly close quarters against Larne. Big, big, strong lad. Really good at holding the ball up, bringing others into play. And, and again, then he, he scored the goal at uh, Solitude on Saturday, which earned luck goal. Another really, really good point. The, the thing about, I think, particularly for a newly promoted team, you probably have to sort of make hay while the sun shines, while there's still that bit of a surprise element. And luck goal have certainly done that. They have put themselves in a very, very good position. Probably... They may find themselves being dragged down a bit as we go into the sort of the, the long winter months and the injuries and the suspensions start to kick in. But um, what they have done uh, in the early months of the season, Peter, has been absolutely remarkable. You're totally correct. No one is going to be surprised by Lockall right now when you beat the champions on one of these Tuesday nights where the champions have been sitting up sipping sports drinks at 3pm in the afternoon while all these lock-all players are, I don't know, just at hard labour doing the work. They're still able to step up and, and Lorne, like, lock-all missed a penalty at that point. Yeah. Then Lorne go down the 10 men and there's a little bit of magic from Benji McGee that's, that gets the goal and gets that win. That game against Cliftonville, it's an early goal for Cliftonville from a set piece, but lock-all, they don't get put off they hunker in, they absorb the pressure, they ride the wave, are lucky with a couple of breaks, a wee Ben Wilson miss here or there, and a Joe Gormley miss hit, a pass not absolutely hitting their target, and then they pounce, they get their goal, and most of that second half that I watched, they looked really, really sturdy, they were willing to take on all the attacks as they come and they could break away very, very easily. And you brought up something there about Dean Smith, which I think is going unnoticed. 
that he is also playing his role here. He built this team, he brought them all together, but he was able to do adjustments at halftime in that Balamina game where after being the main dominant team that first half against Balamina, they then run away with it in the second half and get all the goals. He changed the team significantly, it felt like, in that Lauren game, bringing on players like Mark Carson and, and stuff like that changed up the shape and it worked a charm. Like He is willing to take risks and he is willing to, to move his squad and it's just something that is very rare at that area that people believe they are in the league and currently they're not they're sitting there in the top six so they are getting the points and it is about getting points on the board to stay away from that area and unfortunately for both Lord and Cliftonville they have just come on the wrong end of a team brimming with confidence and is actually quite astute that's the most surprising thing it's just not headless chickens they are they are very coy absolutely not absolutely not actually I, I actually asked Dean uh, after the Lauren game I think he had made six changes or something from from the the side which had lost against Lock all and he said look it's it's not in any way a reflection of of, of, of how we had done against Linfield um, uh, the previous Saturday um basically he says the reason he makes so many changes is they put so much into each game they they absolutely leave you know nothing out there at all as it's they they put 100 percent into those games and he says then he basically he freshens it up he could do it even after even after a positive result he could still make three or four changes you know is he he has he has done everything superbly so far um they have they have done absolutely brilliant. There's, there's one other strange thing just peter about that uh Lock goals went over Lauren. It must be the. I'm sure it's the first and probably the last time I'll ever see a match where the same goalkeeper receives two red he got, cards. In he the got same sent game. up twice. Um, kinda. It, it, yeah, it's a very strange one because um, he gave away the penalty. Rowan Ferguson, uh, the Lauren goalkeeper, and Tony Clark showed him a red card. And and I remember thinking at the time that seemed strange because there's obviously that double jeopardy rule now where if you give away a penalty, it's it, unless the referee thinks that he hasn't made a genuine attempt to go for the ball. It'll be a yellow card rather than a red. I think Tony quickly maybe realised his error and gave him a yellow card. And of course, then to add insult and to add salt to injury, uh, then Rowan Ferguson, having got his reprieve, then saves the resultant penalty. And as you can imagine, Dean Smith on the touchline was uh, uh, having a, a fairly lengthy chat with the fourth official about that. But then uh, having, having had that reprieve, Rowan Ferguson then was was indeed sent off in the second half uh, for handling the ball outside his area, and that was one of one of the easiest decisions I think Tony Clark will ever have to make in his refereeing career. So I think that just sort of set the seal on on, on a miserable night for Larne. Um, I think it was just one of those nights where uh, I think if they they'd still have been playing until now, I don't think they would have scored. But uh, they they very quickly uh, regained the their form at the weekend at, at Glenavon. And a refereeing decision played somewhat of a part in it. And what was the maiden voyage under the SS McDonnell for Glenavon? Uh, a similar sight uh, it was to be seen with Robbie Garrett getting, which I heard was his 14th red card of his career. Let's get to it. Do you think it was a red card? Because I'm not sure if it really warranted it, but I know plenty of people who think I'm 
uh, about Cuckoo for thinking it. Oh, uh, Peter, it we're, we're, been we're, a harsh yellow. We're, we're, we're back to that old debate, isn't it? I mean, we, we know how wholehearted a competitor Robbie Gara is, and then he's made a career out of, out of that sort of, you know, crunching midfield challenge there. Unfortunately, just the sort of the the world we live in nowadays, I mean, it, it gives the referee a decision to make, doesn't it? And, and really, probably up until that point, I think, I think I read afterwards there that you know Stephen McDonald said he had been quite happy with what he had seen so far, but I think if you if you go down a man against Larne uh, as early as that in the game, I think you're in for a very difficult afternoon, and that's that's how it proved. Don't give bonus the chances that he had. Annie Ryan gets taken off after 13 minutes, and bonus is welcomed into the Larne side again with what was a hat trick within 10 minutes or so. He is ruthless. All those attackers are flying at the minute for Lauren. It's a day that Glenavon will want to forget about. But uh, some really impressive bits of play here from Lauren. My pick of the bunch. Well, it was Dylan Sloan's goal where he picks up the ball from his own half, goes on a wander, gets into the other box, and ball passes around the box, and he's the man to swing his boot and, and get the goal and it's just one of these he, he feels like to me and I perhaps have said this before like the first Lauren original who has been developed through this system this this factory system that could produce some of the best talent this country can produce but it's a it's a really mean looking squad now and and now that they're finding their rhythm again no one will want to come into the way of the the Lauren buzzsaw and uh, they they looked uh, fairly unstoppable there and they take the three points and will march on yeah, I mean, D- Dylan Sloan actually is a, a very good case in point, Peter, there. Um, I remember last season, uh, the second half of the season, Lauren sent Dylan Sloan and, and Matthew Lusty on, on loan to Newry. And I remember sort of looking at team sheets each week and, and probably maybe, I think, just sort of from from memory, and I don't have the, the stats in front of me, but it, it seemed that maybe Matthew Lusty maybe would have started more games Dylan Sloan would have been on the bench quite a bit for, for Newry quite often. The pair of them would have been on the bench. And I remember thinking at the end of the season, I, w- I wonder what the future holds for those two young lads now going back to Larne. You know, and you know, I was expecting an influx of, of more top quality signings from Larne. And um, come come the start of this season, um, I was watching the, the stream pictures of uh, Larne's first Champions League game uh, in Helsinki against HJK. Dylan Sloan was the best player. First of all, I was I was slightly surprised that he was in the starting lineup. He was the best player in the pitch, Peter, by by some distance. He was super. I don't know. Has he like grown out as a stature thing or something? Because he looks be. so confident on the ball and he's willing to take that gamble. And he's scoring a surprising amount of goals at the minute, and it, they all come from him. Gambling, committing, getting into into the box and latching onto a ball, and he isn't really the same type of player as Sule. But Lauren took a risk, and they they didn't go over the top to try and keep Sule, and, and they brought other players in. So I'm I'm not saying they just said you've got the keys of the castle here, Dylan. 
But he is one of the players that's really emerged for me from that, that Lawrence side and will be the poster boy if he sticks around or even progresses and moves on to say, despite this team being packed to the brim with talent, if you're good enough and if you work hard enough and even if it doesn't go absolutely sterlingly at a club on loan, which I'm sure a lot of this youth system of Lauren will go over the years, you'll be given an opportunity and if you grasp it with both hands... They will give you the chance to to be a key part of this team, and uh, for Lauren, they they I think they'll be happy if you're a Lauren fan that the early stutters that came at the start of the season were it's a different kind of second season syndrome. They were probably feeling, oh, has everyone found us out? And perhaps are we not as good as last year? And there's plenty of more bodies that have been added that are probably still figuring things out within that team where they fit but they look like a rather imposing outfit right now that nobody really would want the face. And uh, Yeah, I mean, you, you think of it as well, Peter, there. I mean, I know Andrew Ryan went off early on. Uh, I'm not sure as to the extent of, of, of his injury, but, um, you know, they were able to, they're able to bring on Lee Bonneth. And Lee Bonneth probably has been almost a wee bit sort of subdued um, by his high standards of, of from last season. He's been a wee bit subdued this year. That ten minute hat trick could be just the very thing to start him off. And and again, I think I think it was Lee Bonus who had missed out, I think possibly through illness a couple of weeks ago. Paul O'Neill came in, banged in a couple. I mean it, it really is the, 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 the phrase embarrassment of riches there <laughs> uh, could could well be used to describe uh Lauren's attacking threat. A team who found their attacking mojo again on Saturday was Crusaders when they got Four goals away from home up at the Coleraine showgrounds. They contributed four goals in what was probably one of the worst weeks that Owen Kearney's had as Coleraine manager. He played against two really tough teams, both of the North Belfast sides. It was Cliftonville up at Solitude on Tuesday who hammered them 5-0 and then Crusaders drubbed them for on their home patch 9-0 across 180 minutes. I know Orn Kearney was fuming post-game, particularly after the Cliftonville game, but particularly defensively, they are all over the shop. That is seven days they'll want to forget. I mean, it's it's so un like and it's so unlike an Orn Kearney team to be taken apart like that. I mean, normally Orn's teams are so well set up and so well structured, and I think there's, they're possibly maybe been a, a few sort of tactical tweaks and formation changes there this season, different personnel as well. But um really there's 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 something something just not right at the moment there when you know when a team with as much quality in it, the the the, the Glackens, the McKendries, the Shevlins, um, I mean, you know, there's there's something strange when I wonder when the last time Corian had but bad results back to back like that there it must be a very long time ago only because i hear the korean fans shouting at their podcast players to give korean a a bit of a bible here three of those goals were scored in the last 10 minutes and probably argue that taking off darren cole at the back and sticking on andrew mitchell up top alongside throwing on mcdade and jack omanahy just beforehand as well that, that probably doesn't help those goals going in the last 10 minutes. So they're pushing up and they got very much caught. But the stats still read the same. Uh, that's a get-right game 
for Crusaders every day of the week. They'll want to get their confidence back again. Philip Laurie's back scoring absolute bangers again. That was a great strike for that goal. Uh, a pretty nice little finish as well from O'Rourke. Um, but uh, Korean fans, I hear their frustration, especially after such a big fight back against Glentoran only a, a few days beforehand. So I know at the back they've had injuries, they've, they've had a lot of change in shape the odd time, but this is a this is a big, big coaching job for Owen Kearney because he will not want this to continue. He'll want to snap them out of this instantly. And maybe Glen Avon's the right game to do it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you do wonder as well, Peter, if, if sort of subconsciously what's happening off the pitch at, at Corey and, uh, and there's obviously some great plans in place there with, with the investment and presumably they'll be sort of the next to, to go down the, the full-time route. You do maybe wonder if if in the here and now some people are maybe taking their eye off the ball and maybe sort of getting getting too far ahead. I mean, I think there's there's that sort of interesting subplot as well. If if that comes um, when when that move comes towards full time, you know, a few people have asked me the question: What will happen with the Warren there? Will will the Warren go with it, the full time model, or will the Warren? Obviously, he might be one of these people for whom part time uh, alongside his his teaching career might might suit better so i mean there'll be there'll be something there to be to be looked at further down the line with with that one as well i i think that is a really strong point and it's something that i have seen talked about but we don't know what could happen there and for Corian, they have a big couple of months ahead i heard uh or kearney very clearly say look this takeover isn't absolutely signed or the investment isn't signed sealed delivered all that type of stuff there's still things to happen in the background but korean any kind of push towards the top of the table looks to be blunt and stunted and it's results like the the past week which will just really stick in the teeth of korean fans but uh, uh let, let's keep that smile on your face nice and white mr alexander as we chat about this ballamina performance against dungan and swifts which has really blown the bottom of the league completely wide open noah stewart will get the credit he's the brilliant story for getting the goal but there is one man who earned these points for Balamina, and that has to be Sean O'Neill. What an amazing performance in goals. He kept Balamina in this game with some brilliant saves, and he gave them the opportunity, the platform, for Balamina to go up at the other end of the pitch and get that goal late. Yeah, very much so. I think Sean there, uh, it was. I think someone described it to me as he, he, he rolled back the year. So I think, don't think Sean would take too kindly there to suggesting that he's as old as that. But uh, I think there's there's still plenty of football in Sean yet. But no, a terrific performance. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say, Peter, they, they were like world-class saves. You know, they, they were saves that you would expect the keeper of, of Sean's calibre to make, but they were they were so vitally important in keeping Balamina in the game, not not least the penalty save from, from Keelan Dillon, which, I mean, it wasn't a bad penalty. It was a really good save to get down as, as low as that. I, I spoke to Jim Urban after the game, and he was saying that, you know, Sean O'Neill sets really high standards and he has really high demands of his teammates. And... You know, he's right in what he said, uh, Jim. Like, Sean has played consistently well this season. 
even in the defeats, his role has actually been in keeping the scoreline down in some of those defeats. On, on Saturday, his contribution actually enabled Balamina to go on and, and get a positive result, which was obviously a, a big, big plus after what has been a very difficult start. I think you're downplaying some of these saves. The Ethan Devine one, I'm just looking back on it again where the ball comes in from Maguire. That is pretty much point blank than he needs to get his hand up there it was a performance that i i just thought was really needed in the way that game was going i actually thought dungannon were excellent in parts and threw men forward and for a team that hasn't always been the most free-flowing going forward i thought they had a pretty good day uh bar the fact that they just couldn't get it in the goal and uh that's when you leave the door open like that these are the results that can come your way right now you've talked to Jim Irvin a fair bit this has been a tough task for him coming in taking over a team who has had a dreadful calendar year even before he took over he's got a limited budget to build a squad that had plenty of bodies some key players leave you know Ross Redmond isn't exactly in the prime of his career but he contributed a lot of assists and was integral to set players and a lot of different things like that and uh, you're, you're you're well stocked at, at wingbacks but he he tried to get this team up and running and as much as i don't think they've had a game where they look to dominate the match they've got seven points and now were I, I said a few weeks ago they could get cut adrift they've now dragged a lot of teams into this little area of the table and one of them that's right there with them is Dungannon. 9th to 12th you've got the Swifts, Glenavon, Newry and Balamina and only one point separates them. Three are on seven points. There's going to be, I know there's only 10 games played but you know how these games go at the bottom of the league. Oftentimes it's these games which decide your fate but with the teams around you and these games are going to be fight till the deaths. They are going to be gripping encounters. They're not always the most entertaining football games, but as spectacle dramas, they can be thrilling in their own way. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right there, Peter. If you, if you look through the fixture list each week and you see a meeting of, of two of those sort of bottom six teams or, or teams who might even be tipped to finishing the bottom four, you're thinking that's that's a real, a real dogfight there. I know... Rodney McAree was was hugely disappointed on, on Saturday, just a sort of feeling of a, of a man who just had his pocket picked there just right at the end of the game. Um, Dungannon, I, I would say Rodney would be fairly happy with, with Dungannon's performance, but what they just could not do was was find a way past Sean O'Neill. I mean, just you, you, you touched upon there the, the situation that, that, uh, that Jim had inherited. I mean, I don't think anyone should underestimate just how big a task it actually was because... When he came in in the summer, Balamina weren't in a good way, even at that stage. And people say, oh, you know, sure, they got to the Irish Cup final. It can't have been that bad. But you actually mentioned it there. That the calendar year of, of 2023 has been pretty much an anus horribilis for Balamina so far. They've played, since since the 1st of January, they've played 29 league games, Peter. They've won six out of those 29. It's, it's really a miserable run of form. There was an absolute horror run in the early part of the year where, where Balamina went 14 league games without a win. And 
you know, while that was going on, they were sort of gradually progressing through rounds in the Irish Cup and in and, and a large sense that sort of masked what was going on, at, at least maybe to, to people looking in from the outside. But um, I mean, the Irish Cup final, as you know, was a, was a massive disappointment and it was it was no great surprise, certainly to, to Balamina fans, that, uh, that a change took place just a few days after that. I mean, it, you, just, just to go back again to, to this year of 2023, it didn't start well for Balamina with uh, with those lurid headlines about the, the the club's financial position. I mean, the, I think the reality wasn't just quite as bad as that. Basically, what it was was that when when the previous uh, chairman John Taggart stepped down after nine years in charge, that was around about this time last year. The the interim board who took over, they were they were looking at the finances and they were thinking, here we we you know we can't go on like this. There was just there was too much money going out. And that's why there were so many players moved on in the, the January transfer window. It, it had a bit of a feel of a fire seal about it, but um, it was more a case just of, of balancing the books until the end of the season. And even with that, one of the first things that Jim had to do was to to offload some of the, the big wage earners, uh, the people like David McDade and David Parkhouse. So, so really, he hasn't had a big budget to, to work with and he's, he's had to shop around accordingly. Uh, he was quite... Quite a few players have come in on loan, and, and some of those players, like Isaac Westendorf and Fraser Taylor and Donald Rocks, they've they've made a good impression. But I suppose Peter, the the, the loan market is always fraught with danger because if their parent clubs are to recall them in January, Balamino would be right back to square one again. What was the temperature like round the showgrounds? You have that win against Carrick a couple of weeks ago, which was the first win after a, a decent enough stretch I, I i do know i can see there's only 10 games being played and you've got the six points on the board but was there any itchy feet was there any discussions at all that you were here in the terraces where people are thinking oh my goodness we're on a bad path here do we need to act now even, even early doors i, I didn't ever get that impression peter i think uh, i think jim will will get time to to try and and rebuild it because i, I think everybody is aware just of, of the magnitude of of what has to be done really you, you touched upon it earlier there that the big danger was of balamina getting absolutely cut adrift at the bottom um and having to play catch up you know just think how many points they were even behind say lock all so um, no, I, I I don't think there was any danger of that there. I think I think Jim will will have the the backing of the supporters. Um, really now, Balamina have clawed themselves back into you know sort of the, they they can see the coattails of the of the the teams above them. And again, I mean this Saturday, uh, Balamina have Newry at home. It's a brilliant which fixture. Is another of those massive meetings of bottom six teams, as like the, the bottom two teams and. I suppose there's the there's the potential psychological boost for Balamina if they can win they'll they'll move off the bottom of the table for for virtually the first time this season so a huge game. It's such a look what you could have won result for Dungannon because they're now they've now let you back in it even even at this stage where there's one point difference when a victory there if just one of those the penalty had went in the Ethan Devine chance had went in. They're sitting pretty, 10 points, and they're looking down at you with a seven-point swing at that stage, would it be? Yes, a seven-point swing. So 
thinking yeah. we've got to play them a few more times we, we can push on but Glenavon have got to change things up Nuri are on a winless run at the minute going against Balamina Balamina have struggled to get goals they're the lowest scorers in the league we'll get onto that game later between those two but I am I'm going to be talking about this I think between now and the end of the season I'm sure maybe one team will will, will push on and get away or they'll just maybe drag even a, a character into it but a title race that's they're starting to see a bit of daylight now between Linfield and even Cliftonville in third. There's there's five points already and they're looking fantastic right now, the Blues. It's at the bottom of the table where we could just see all all the action and all the drama. Yeah, I mean, there will be some monumental games at the, at the bottom end of the table. Um, it's the, you know, it's just that the, the pressure is intense because, I mean, nobody... Nobody wants to to slip through that trap door because I think everybody knows what the implications of relegation are for any of those clubs down around the bottom there. And and of course you slip down into the championship. Uh, it's it's no cakewalk getting back out of that there as as even Portadown are, are finding this season. It is a hugely competitive division, and obviously any team that's relegated, there'll be probably a, a a big overhaul of players. And again, you're sort of cutting your cloth according to to budgets. So. Uh, it's a, it's a massive incentive, Peter, to, to stay in the top flight. We now swap our view from the past and into the future and a couple of mega games. And as I alluded to earlier, nothing is bigger in this country quite like when Linfield play Glentoran. It's at Windsor Park this time around. It's on the TV, so you can all watch it if you're not there in person. It's the team who are dealing with injuries and are on a three-game winless run against a side who's scoring goals, have found their groove. Now, it's their third game in a row at home. There will be an expectancy from the Linfield fans to put Glentorn to the sword. But typically in these games, it feels like this is the fixture where both teams fortunes flip or it's a crossroads game i'm not saying i'm betting in favor of glentoran on this occasion but it would be very very typical that this is a repeat of that huge victory glentoran got last year at around this time around the the 15th of october last year i even remember the date that's how significant that was a 3-0 win that they had so perhaps it could be on feeney could be Showing that game from last year, beating their chest. Here we go. But for Linfield, this the pressure is on in a way in front of their home crowd. This is a must win, especially with Lorne just up the motorway playing at exactly the same time. They'll know the score at that time and they'll not want the slip to let the Invermen in at all. Do you believe in the underdog? And England tour this time around at all? Yeah, I mean, it's on current form, Peter. It looks like the the, the proverbial no brainer, doesn't it? You you would say, yeah, Linfield every day of the week. But I mean, you, you've touched upon it there. We've we've seen it so many times before in this fixture. All it takes is for the side who are maybe struggling, scratching for form a bit. I mean. <laughs> We we said earlier. You look at that Glentoran team. There is no shortage of quality in that. What? Why not? There's 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 a big performance you would imagine in in that team. 
it wouldn't surprise me if if Glentoran were were to come away with a with a point or or even better. But uh, I mean, what what an occasion it's going to be. Very much so. I'm going to say three one to the Blues. Early penalty for the Glens. I'm going to decide. Junior scores the goal, and then it's a big second half from the Blues, and it's the usual players who are getting the goals for them. Um, let's go to that game that is also being played on a Friday night. Up at Inver, Lorne against Crusaders. Crusaders just looked so fantastic at the start of the season. Crusaders, last time they were there, it was the Community Charity Shield, whatever that game's called, uh, where Crusaders were able to deal with everything that Lorne threw at them. Lorne are very much a different side, and talk about night and day sides right now. Crusaders will think... However this season goes, unless there is a Gibson Cup sitting on the shore road in black and red ribbons, they'll be thinking, how could this season have been if we had just not had that Jimmy Calgaran injury? Because that is the moment their season has took a complete nosedive. Uh, yeah, uh, and to be fair, it's it's perhaps, I don't know if nosedive is, is overstating it, maybe just a bit of a wobble because... I absolutely agree with, with with what you were saying there. I, I've seen Crusaders a few times this season. They have been superb. I watched Crusaders. Uh, I was covering the Crusaders Carrick game, the 9-0 at Seaview, and it was one of the best ever team performances I've ever witnessed in the Irish League. I think what really impressed me, Peter, so much about it was at no point, even when they were 5 or 6-0 up, there was no thought at all of taking the foot off the gas there. They were relentless. That night, I am not joking, had it not been for Ross Glendinning and goal for Carrick, he could have been looking at a scoreline of 14 or 15. It was just, it was an incredible performance. Um, the the Callagher injury is is a really huge, huge blow. Um, I mean, a key player at both ends of the pitch. Obviously, he's at the linchpin of the defence as well, and, and we know how dangerous he is in the opposing penalty area. But um, again, I noticed uh, Crusaders have Josh Robinson uh, back again. Gives him another defensive option alongside a player who I think has really, really blossomed and who I don't think maybe he gets the, the, the plaudits he deserves is Daniel Larmer, who I think has developed into a really, really good Irish League central defender. Well, they'll need a big performance from Daniel Larmer if he is to be a part of this crew that is going to somehow stop a eventual potential trifecta of Ryan, Bonus and O'Neill coming at them throughout this game on their home patch. It would take a bold man to say that Crusaders are going to shut them out and get a result away from home despite their 4-0 win against Coleraine over the weekend. Which is why I'm not going to predict that. And you've just got to believe that Lauren are going to score the goals. Despite the slip-ups that Lauren have had, they are just throwing the ball in the opposition's net for fun. And when they do that, they have plenty of slippage for something going wrong at the other end of the pitch. They aren't as uh, stingy at the back as they were last season, but they don't need to be if they're thumping teams and scoring loads. Unless, of course, you're against Dungannon and... They just give it up late. So, victory for Lauren there. Saturday afternoon. And I'm not saying it because you're here. My big game of the weekend. Balomina host Newry City. 
a fascinating doubleheader between these two teams last year when they played each other. Was it like Friday and Monday or Friday and Tuesday or something like that where they just both share victories? There was late goals and all the rest. Like this, this has the chance to be a rather tasty fixture. I know every time Balamina and Glenavon play each other, there's usually some sort of fireworks, but this could be the the low-key entertaining game. Yeah, well, let, let's hope it's a good game. Obviously, there's an awful lot at stake for, for both teams. I mean, if you think, if you look at Murray's situation, I think, I think Gary Boyle has, has a very difficult job on his hands. I mean, difficult from the outset to replace Darren Mullen after all that Darren did for the club and, and where he brought Murray from uh, to, to uh, regain their, their premiership status. I mean, I can fully understand why Murray went for a bit of continuity by appointing Gary, who was who was Darren's assistant, but again, I think Peter, like like a lot of the bottom six teams, you know, Newry probably don't score as many goals as they would like. If you look around those teams in the bottom four, bottom five, you you really kind of struggle to see a ten or a fifteen goal a season striker. Um, I mean, the 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 games between those bottom sides are are just so so important because. It's hard to see too many of those teams taking points maybe off the top six, although luck all have, have proved fairly adept at it recently. It's the leakiest defence against the worst attack in the league. Something's gotta give, baby. Uh, that means it may be a goal fest. I don't know, but uh, surely if Bellamina can't get more than one goal in this game at home, where are they going to get it? Where is it going to happen? Yeah, the goals obviously have, have proved hard to come by. Um, I think Colin Coates is still the uh, is still the Balamina's leading goal scorer this season there, which again proves how, how big a threat he, he is from, from set pieces. Again, uh, um, the, the young lad who you mentioned earlier, uh, Noah Stewart. Yes, what um, a story that is. Yeah, I mean, it's such a great story, wasn't it? Real sort of Roy of the Rovers stuff. I mean, younger listeners will be going, what, who, who, who's who's this Roy of the Rovers? But I think I'm showing my age a bit there. Uh, but Jim was saying afterwards that uh, young young Noah Stewart, he's a, he's a young lad who'd actually been, been playing in Linfield's reserve team last year. He joined Ballymena. He'd actually only started training with, with the first team you know, very recently, um, and as Jim described it, he put a couple of senior players on their their backsides in training. So, and you know, I think that the coaching staff were sort of looking, going, "There might be something about this kid," you know. So they decided to put him in the squad on on Saturday when uh, Isaac Westendorf was out injured. So I mean, it certainly paid off handsomely. I mean, I think he's 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 a local boy as well. He's from the Ballymena area, which I think I think that's important as well. To, you know, to have some sort of identity within the local community for, for a club like Ballymena. You look at when Craig Farquhar broke through last season, you know, it, it gave even Ballymena's Youth Academy a real boost because the coaches there can point to Craig and to the likes of Leroy Miller who had come before him and, and say, look, there's there's a pathway there, you know, from, from the Youth Academy to, to the first team. Um, so again, hopefully, maybe Noah Stewart might be might be the next person at Balamina to to make the breakthrough. Could he pop up with a goal? We'll have to see. I'm going to stick my neck on the line, and I don't know if you like it. I'm going to say two two down at the showgrounds between Balamina and Nuri. Cliftonville try to shake off getting lockalled at Solitude by inviting Dungannon up to Solitude, a team who gave Cliftonville. A, uh, a banana skin or two. They were the team that came in and 
somewhat killed off their season last year, booting them out of the Irish Cup on one of the games and getting a victory to pretty much derail any hope of a title charge for Cliftonville. Dungana will want to react instantly after that game that they don't get the points against Balamina at home. But this is what this league is like. If you don't take your chances, all of a sudden you could be stuck on a really difficult run. Cliftonville have so much going forward for them. We talk about their goal threat. In many ways, they are scoring themselves out of trouble. And you've got to believe with a returning and hungry Joe Gormley back in the side and Rowan Wilson always being that predator in the box. I just think that despite Ethan Devine getting goals in this team and, and finding his footing within the starting eleven. I've got to give this to a multi-goal victory to Cliftonville. I've been very impressed, uh, Peter, with, with what I've seen of, of Cliftonville this season. There's there plenty of goals in that in that side. Um, Sam Ashford, Ben Wilson uh, have have done superbly when Wilson's coming in, and then of course you've got Joe Gormley back and and still as hungry as ever for goals. I mean, just can you imagine being a striker there uh, in that side with, with the likes of you know Rory Hale and Ronan Doherty and and Chris Gallagher pulling the strings behind there. Can you just imagine the the, the amount of openings you must be that must be created there? Uh, I know, obviously, Jim Magelton and Jared Little. They, they maybe uh, to to describe it as being getting a bit of a lukewarm reception from Cliftonville fans. That appointment, I think that may be being a tad generous. I don't think they were they were flavour of the month at all. But uh, it's funny what a few uh, multi goal victories there. How how that can change fans' opinions. So uh, again, uh, like yourself, I think I would, I would fancy Cliftonville in that one. Are Coleraine gonna get good and shake off the past week? at home or is the McDonald era going to start proper when Glenavon go up to Coleraine this is always like a bizarro fixture at times where Coleraine beat Glenavon when they're on a good run or Glenavon thump Coleraine when it looks as though they're gonna challenge for the title I just can't predict a, a nil-nil for Coleraine right now and Glenavon despite the new manager are still finding it tough to get whoever their striker is going to be and get the goals plenty of work still to be done for mcdonald and away up at the showgrounds is a very tough assignment so i'm going to back corey in to get back on track and get the goals yeah i mean uh, I, I, as you say there glenavon have had some sort of unexpected victories at corey in, in recent seasons there maybe at times when when really you would have fancied corey to go on and win that's a it's a very very difficult game to call i mean I think that the the thing with Steve McDonald coming in at this stage, I think the difficulty with that, Peter, is the transfer window has passed and it's quite a long time until the January one in, in relative terms. So, I mean, he's going to have to work with what's there. He's, I'm sure he will have one eye to be identifying areas and I'm sure Steve McDonald will have a, a, a very good knowledge of the the player market in the in the Republic of Ireland there. I'm sure he'll have worked with plenty of players at, at, at clubs, uh, at Dundalk and at Shelbourne there. But again, like like a lot of the like a lot of the clubs in the the, the bottom six, there there's maybe there there are good wholehearted, good honest players at Glenavon, but like a lot of the clubs in the bottom six, they're maybe struggling for that wee bit of quality. And um really I, I think 
again that Glenavon will be wanting to make sure that they're just just above that sort of danger zone by the time they get to January and when Steve McDonald can can start to make a few changes and, and, and put his own stamp on that team. Well, he's going to have to deliver with the aspect of management, which I think at the Arsenal League level often gets somewhat disregarded, the coaching element of it. It's the player development. Yes, they've got the tactics and the picking the team, but these managers also to earn their cheddar is they need to make players better. And I think that's a key aspect of why he's been brought into this job is that he has been working throughout the League of Ireland, working with young players, trying to develop footballers who will eventually go on into full-time setups. So he's there to not only tactically make this team better, but he's got to try and get the absolute most out of these players and try and find a way that's working. He's there to try and squeeze that extra bit of juice from the le- the current lemon that is this squad before he can go out and grab more. But I, I just think despite their recent woes, Coleraine will uh, find something to get the win here. And if they don't, boom, I'm hitting the crisis button right now because Coleraine fans are going to be in disarray of what's going to happen next. But the other big game... The neutral bowl, let's call it. Carrick go to Lakeview Park. Oh, if I wasn't already assigned elsewhere, I would love to go to this game. The informed team of this season, lock all against uh, everybody's wild card from last season. Will Carrick take that momentum against their biggest win of the season and go away from home and show lock all what a Premiership team is all about? Or is lock all going to keep? This uh, fun train, this train of love going. I've got to believe at home. It's not been the place where they're getting all their points, but this knockout team are bringing with confidence. And I don't know if, if, if Carrick are going to be the team that's going to knock them off their pedestal right now. It might be a draw, perhaps like a, a nil-nil, just because Carrick were able to hold off the knockout goal scorers. But Carrick haven't had a particularly great defensive record, so... I've got to believe that Lock All will will get the goals to win this at home. Yeah, I can I can just imagine if you were a Lock All player or the coaching staff or Dean Smith and then you'd you'd be just literally counting down the days to the next match. They just probably can't come quickly enough at the minute. The matches. I mean, when you have that momentum and that enthusiasm and enjoyment, you'll really be just absolutely buzzing for the next game. And and that is a game that, that Lock All will be looking at. That goal. We can pick something else up here again. We can we can add to our points tally. Uh, Carrick, I'm sure, will be looking to 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 follow up from that uh, win against Glentor in there. That Stuart will probably be thinking to himself, right? It really is high time now that we stitch together a few a few results and and lift ourselves up the table because I think I think Carrick's positions may be just a wee bit false at this stage. I think they they are better than 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 what they've showed so far this season. And I'm sure Dean Smith will just have uh, Oren Bruggen just at, at anywhere near the halfway mark. See that fella Perkis on him, shut him down. And if they can shut down players like him and Tilney, uh, Lockall will have a great chance of winning this game. And I know this is early days to say, but you know, we are on I don't think anybody's saying Lockall are like totally safe and they're fine, but like they are actually quite close based on previous history. They've got 15 points now. Nine points, they get a victory on Saturday, two more perhaps by Christmas, like 
24 points, you know, you'll you'll fall into a draw, even if it all falls off. They can all of a sudden stop forgetting about worrying about potentially being stuck in the relegation mire and they can think, have we got enough to sneak higher or, or or get seventh place but look dean smith will hate people like us talking about that they want to take every game at a time and you're right momentum that momentum of just wanting to play in the next game you cannot buy that i must say after a, a few weeks where it felt as though we were either short on goals or, or short on big headlines this weekend absolutely delivered and i'm really hoping that momentum that some of these teams have, they can bring it in the next weekend. And I have another podcast that's just bursting with all the storylines that come out from it. Mr. Alexander, our time has come to an end. Our train is closing into the station. Lots of great stuff in there. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting to me this week. You are an absolute joy as always. If they want some... Stephen Alexander on a 24-7 basis. You might not be providing them with content of all those hours of the day, but where can they find some of your finest work on the line? Uh, well, they, they can uh, follow some of my uh, live text updates on the, the BBC Sport NI website. Um, I'm covering Balamina against Newry this Saturday, the, the game which you're looking forward to so, so eagerly there. And as well as that, they, um, they can follow me on uh X, formerly Twitter, at Stephen underscore sport. Stephen, an absolute pleasure as always. Till next time, chat to you soon. Thank you, Peter. Take care. Another big double week for you on the podcast front. Your usual episode here and the bonus one, which you've probably checked out by now, my interview with Jared Lawler. And I've got to give you listening to this right now a big thank you i do not think that they open that email for me and say yeah let this boy into the office to talk to our ceo if it wasn't for the fact that they can tell that i've got you who are keen to get answers who are keen to listen and i always appreciate any share follow listen rating that anybody even like interaction to the polls that you give I really appreciate that and you know interviewing Jared uh, was that was a nice little milestone for this podcast haven't done an interview before and to be honest it was just a great time to get involved and it was just a great thing for me to put a lot of the questions which I know that you are keen to get answers for hopefully I was able to deliver some sort of information that would help you along the way but I've just got to say a massive thank you but if you like this and maybe you're like new to the pod this week you gotta know if you want to know more you want to follow this thing you can subscribe or follow this podcast on whatever platform you're on if you're on apple Podcasts or on spotify if you want to follow me on social media great place to do it highly recommend it i'm at kicking match on instagram facebook and twitter and of course if you want to take this wireless hands-free you can always ask your smart speaker and just go hey smart speaker please play kicking match an irish league podcast like i said in the pod another fun weekend of games thanks for listening until next time tally ho cheerio (laughs) 